testimonies and verses that were shared. At this time, take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Go to the book of Romans chapter 3. As we continue our study on Sunday nights, our study on Sunday nights is looking at the great words of Scripture, great doctrinal truth of Scripture. It is important that we are biblically literate, that we know what the key terms are in Scripture regarding our salvation. We know what they mean. They give us hope and confidence, and we know how to apply them to our life. So we've been doing this for many weeks. Remember, we started with total depravity, the whole fact that man is as bad off as he can be in a state against God. We are rebels against God, alienated from him. We are wicked in our minds. Remember what it says in 1 Kings 8.28, it says that in our heart is an oozing plague. Zechariah 3.3, we are covered in filthy garments before the Lord. We could go on and on and look at the defiling nature of sin. It is incurable. It is defiant. It is Psalm 12, verse 4, slapping God in the face. It is unthroning God, ungodding God. That is how awful our sin is. And so we started with that idea. And then we moved into grace. What is grace? It is God's rich love for us that is undeserved and unmerited. And we looked even at an illustration of Mephibosheth. Remember Mephibosheth brought into David's household. He was of the house of Saul. David brought him from the enemy house, brought him at his table and said, all that I have is yours. You'll eat at my table the rest of the days. That is grace upon grace, isn't it? And then we looked at words like regeneration. It's the whole idea of being born again, being um, born from above, made a new creation in Christ. And then we looked at all of the ramifications of regeneration. What happens at the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit dwells you permanently, you become a new creation, on and on, and all the effects of regeneration are phenomenal. Then we looked at imputation, the whole idea of record-keeping, that honor account is a record of sin, and a sin nature that loves to sin. And that sin and sin nature has been lifted off of our account and placed on another account, on the account of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus paid that debt of sin, every single last one. And when we place our faith in him, his righteousness is placed on our account. So our sin is removed from our account, and when we trust Christ, righteousness is applied. We looked at the word substitution. We looked at repentance. We've looked at the word redemption. The three Greek words for redemption, talking about being freed from the slave market. We talked about the Roman slave market. We looked at Hosea and Gomer. Remember how he went and purchased his wife? Hosea chased after Gomer, didn't he? Ah, time and time again. He'd have her in the house, he'd go to sleep at night, he'd wake up, she's gone, she's at another house with another person, and he went after her, and God said, you keep loving her, you keep loving her, because this is what Israel is. She's unfaithful to me spiritually. And then finally, remember how he, in chapter 3 of Hosea, he finds her on the slave market? Oh, how terrible. And yet, what does he do? He goes and he purchases her. He brings her and rescues her. He takes her out of that slave market. So we looked at redemption. And then we looked at reconciliation. The whole idea of our sin makes us enemies of God. We are rebels. And he is the one who has brought peace and made peace with us through Jesus Christ. And so now we are friends. He has provided that um, opportunity to reconcile that relationship. And then propitiation. He is, God the Father is satisfied with Christ's payment on the cross. Our sin paid in full, complete satisfaction by the Father. So those are, aren't those great words tonight? It's the word justification. It is the core, it is the central doctrine of our faith. It is the 
500-year celebration of Martin Luther on October 31st, nailing those 95 theses to the door at the, in Wittenberg. The whole idea that that came about was Martin Luther, as a Roman Catholic monk, could not find peace with God. Tried and tried. He was a learned student of the Word of God. Do you know you can know God's Word and yet not have a relationship with Him? He knew God's Word, but he did not know God, and he had no peace with God. He thought God was an angry God, and he tried hard to satisfy God. Prayed. He said the Our Father over and over and over again. He studied the scriptures. He, he fasted. He did on and on. He would go to Rome and make journeys to Rome, and he would crawl up the steps in Rome, kissing each stair as he went up, weeping, saying, God, if you're there, do you love me? God, if you're there, how can I know? He was lost until he was reading Romans 1, verse 17, and the just shall live by faith, and it just exploded in his mind. How, how was a man right with God? By grace through faith alone, not in the deeds of the law. How liberating, and that's what, that's what we need. So tonight, we're looking at justification. Let's pray. Father, as we now turn our attention to the Word of God, our hearts and minds are stirred and blessed. We have, oh, we have been with you walking day by day this week. We are starting a new week. We're excited about the opportunities that lie ahead of us. But Father, let us never forget that we are justified men and women by faith in Christ alone. Help us tonight to just uncover some of these truths, to be reminded again of the importance of justification and the freedom and the weight of having been lifted off and the shame and the guilt no more. Thank you so much that you have justified the ungodly through the blood of Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith alone. We thank you, and I pray that this message would not only remind us of what we have and who we are in Christ, but it would also spur us on to tell unsaved people this week the good news of Jesus Christ, that they could receive justification, that they could be justified apart from the deeds of the law. So work in our life, remind us of your truth, put it in our heart, work it through in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me begin with looking at Romans chapter 3. We're looking at justification. We'll define it. I'll give you an illustration. Then we'll look at the meaning of it and the effect of it. And so if you're taking notes, there's going to be about four points with some subpoints in it all. But Romans chapter 3 says this, beginning in verse 21. But now, right, we've just figured out that the, that the law God set up is like a gigantic mirror. The law could never save. It could never change a man's heart. It could never produce righteousness in a person. All the law could do is condemn. It could simply be a gigantic mirror by we look at God's law, we look at God's standard, and we see that we fall desperately short. So the law, you know what the law can only do? Terrorize. That's all it can do is terrorize. It can't empower, it cannot change, it can only reveal and terrorize. But now, the righteousness of God, which is what we need, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, and then how do we receive this righteousness? The word of God tells us, through faith in Jesus Christ. To all, all right, it's to all, it's available to all, and on all, it's effective to those who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here it is, verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. First of all, the definition of justification. To be justified means to be declared righteous. Not to be made righteous, but to be declared righteous. 
All right? So it means that one who is guilty, they are found guilty, they are under condemnation, shame, and guilt. That individual, by the judge, is declared righteous. They are declared innocent. They are declared free. So it is a great word. It, the illustration, so the definition is to be declared righteous by a holy God, so wicked sinners who are guilty and full of shame, and rightly so, can now be declared innocent and free. All right. So that's the meaning. Now, the illustration is a courtroom scene. We've had other scenes. We've had like the regeneration, the birthing scene. Reconciliation is like the two parties that are at war are now at peace. And propitiation is an accounting term. Well, justification, it's a legal term. It's a forensic term for a courtroom. So picture this. God the Father is a holy, right, just judge. He can only do right. And a just judge is going to condemn sin. He is going to judge sin, and the penalty for that sin is going to be meted out fully. You all agree? A just judge can only do what is right in the, according to the standards, and the standard for sin is eternal death, separation from God. You all agree? Okay, so that's the scene. God the Father is the judge. And then who's the guilty, um, who's the guilty person in the, in the courtroom? It's you and I. And we are in court rightly judged and rightly, rightly accused of guilt and shame. So can you imagine standing in front of a holy, perfect judge, knowing that you are full of sin, wickedness, um, anger, rebellion? And we know the only thing that this judge can do is condemn me to an eternal hell and separation from him. But God, who is rich in mercy, we have an advocate. First John chapter 2, the advocate is Jesus Christ. He stands up on our behalf and says, I have paid the debt of that sinner in full. They can go free. All right. Has every sin been accounted for and paid in full? Yes, but by another, by a substitute and not by us. So the holy judge can now say, the penalty has been paid. You are free to go. That's the idea. All right. The idea is we who are guilty sinners by our nature and our works are found before God righteous, declared righteous by a holy God. Now, we can only do that because somebody else stepped in and actually paid the entire penalty of our sin. And of course, we know it was Jesus Christ on the cross. So now, how, how do we have this? How do we receive this justification? Let's look at verse 24. Being justified, being declared righteous by a holy judge. Here it is. Freely, that's unearned, so it is, uh, there's nothing you can do to merit justification. You can't be good enough. You can't do some enough religious things in order to merit justification. It is a gift from God to you. So we are being justified freely by his grace. So my first point under the means of justification, um, number one, the means is by God's grace, by his love and favor towards us that we have not earned and we do not deserve. No effort on our part is needed or can, be, can even be offered. No baptism, no prayers. There's nothing we can do to even produce a little bit of sympathy from the judge that he would somehow say, oh, all right, we'll just, we'll just sweep that under the rug. Can't happen. It is by God's grace. There's nothing that we can do to earn or deserve justification. Letter B. Not only is it by grace, but it is, or number two, it is through faith. So it is by faith alone. 
by God's grace, through faith alone, through trust, and it's on the basis of the death of Christ. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. All right, so the basis of our justification is through the death of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died that day outside of Jerusalem, as he hung on the cross from nine until noon, it was busy on the streets. Passover, it was passerbys walking by, wagging their tongues at him, blaspheming him. The soldiers were barting for his garments. The chief priests and scribes were taunting him and ridiculing him. Um, Oh, the, the, the noise and the spectacle. But at noon, darkness covered the land. Matthew chapter 27. Darkness covered the land. And from noon until three, it is pitch black. And during those three hours, all of the sin of humanity, all of your sin and my sin was being laid on Jesus Christ. He paid it in full. And for those three hours, there was separation from God the Father and God the Son as he bore our sin in his own body. After three hours... Sin having been paid in full by an infinite God who is fully man, Christ could cry out, Tetelestai, it is finished. You can't add one thing to his work on the cross. There's nothing you can do. He paid our sin in full. So it's through his blood. That's the basis for our justification that he stepped in and he died for us. And look down at verse 28. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude, here's going to be the conclusion, that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Again, I just want to emphasize there is no effort on our part to receive justification. It is by faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. He paid our sin and bodily rose from the grave. God did this by his grace. It's not something we've earned or deserved. It's by his love that was demonstrated to us. And it is always apart from the deeds of the law. And yet, you know what most Christians want to do? Once they place their faith in Jesus Christ and they're justified, they want to live under the law again. And we've already dealt with that in the book of Galatians at at great length. So, move down to... um, Let's look at one more. Galatians chapter 3. Going along with the whole idea of there's no human effort involved in our justification... Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. For, the word of God says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So if you choose to do the works of the law, you are under the curse because nobody can keep the law perfectly. How many sins does it take for you to go to hell? One is all it takes. It only took Adam one sin eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, to plunge himself, his wife, his children, and all of us into death, condemnation, and guilt forever. That's that's all it took was one sin. So if you want to put yourself under the law, how much of the law do you have to keep? All of it, all of the time. And it is impossible. For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone. You are cursed. Everyone is cursed. Who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law, to do them. So if you want to get to heaven apart from Christ, you've got to keep the law perfectly all of the time, from the time you are conceived until the time that you, well, then you wouldn't die, right? I mean, so you understand it's impossible. So verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Nobody can keep the law. If you've broken one of the laws, James 2.10 says you've broken all of them. So... The conclusion is no one is justified by the law 
in the sight of God, be that's evident, for the just shall live by faith. He goes on and says, verse 12, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. All right. So that's the means of justification. It's by the grace of God, through faith, through the death of Christ, and it requires and has involved no human effort at all. God justifies, in Romans 4, verse 5, God justifies who? God justifies the ungodly. Because the righteous doesn't need to be declared righteous. They're already righteous. So who does God declare righteous? The ungodly, the sinner that trusts him, that places their faith in him. All right, so here, I just have quick little applications for it. Think about this. Justification is 100% of God's act, none of ours. You agree? He's the judge. He did it all. He sets us free. He does it all. All we do is trust him, place our faith in him. Justification is 100% an act of God. Secondly, justification, it's not an experience. I talk to people all the time, and I'll say, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Yes, I do. Well, tell me about it. Um, How did that all happen? Well, I've been growing into it over years. Really? You're growing into justification in years. Like how? Are you partly justified and then not justified? Or how does that work? Can you be partly justified? No. Either you are justified by faith in Christ alone, and your record of sin is removed, or you are not justified at all and you are going to perish in a lake of fire. So there is a time, a moment when you place your faith in Christ and you have moved from guilty sinner heading to hell forever to redeemed, born again child of God, justified by faith, right? It has to happen. Now, if you don't know the day or time, that's not the big deal. The thing is, it has to happen from it has to happen at a point in time. Justification is a point in time. It's not an experience, it's not a process. The judge doesn't say, well, I'm going to give you eight months and we'll get this record set straight. No, it's like, okay, you placed your faith in me. I instantly declare you, I declare you righteous right there. So it's, so it's 100% an act of God. It is not an experience or a feeling. You're not half justified or partly justified. Therefore, your salvation is secure eternally. True? In order for you to lose your salvation, God, the just judge, has to take away what he gave you and would a just judge ever declare you righteous and then take and go back on it? If he went back on it, he's not a just judge. We don't want him as a God if he's going to go back on his word. But his word says, once you are declared just, once you are declared just, your sins having been paid in full will never be credited to your account again, ever. See, isn't that great? To say that, no wonder why there's so many great songs that we sing about justification. All right. What are the effects of justification? First effect of justification. If you are justified, you are completely forgiven. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. You're in Galatians 3. Head over to Ephesians chapter 1. In this first 14 verses, we get one great truth after another about our salvation. We have the work of God the Father, then work of God the Son, praise to the glory of his grace, and then the work of God the Holy Spirit, who seals us for the day of redemption, praise to the glory of his grace. But in the middle of this whole text regarding the Son, Ephesians chapter 1, look at this, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, that's praise to the Father for all that he's done, by which he made us accepted in the beloved... In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. If you are justified by God's grace through faith, all of your sins are forgiven. You are completely forgiven. 
If God forgives your sin completely, can he ever mention another one to your hurt? Never. Ever. We will go to heaven and we'll be rewarded for faithfulness. We'll be rewarded for serving Christ. But we will never, ever feel the shame, guilt, or condemnation of one single sin. Do you know how liberating that is? It's like when I was talking to the shepherds at Migdal Eder last night, and I'd be like, um, what's the greatest Christmas gift you could ever get? You know, do you want a new chariot, or do you want some shepherd sandals, or whatever? No, the greatest gift we could ever have is to know every single sin that I have ever committed or will ever commit will never be mentioned or brought to my account or brought to my face ever, ever again. Ever. That's justification. God simply has forgiven us completely of our sins. Secondly, another effect of justification. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is a very familiar verse. I covered this just, what, a week ago? 2 Corinthians 5.21. All right, the whole context. Remember the context of this. We're dealing with the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ with the message of reconciliation. And here's what I think that word of record, look at verse 19. Here's what God's word says. God has, at the very end of verse 19 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. So I think, beginning at verse 20, in the context, this is the word of reconciliation that we share to the world. So God has given me a message of bringing, letting wicked enemy, alienated men and women who are alienated against their God, how they can have a peaceful relationship with him. So I'm going to go to this world with the word of reconciliation. I'm going to tell them this. Here's what I'm going to say as my word of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. Remember how I preached this? I'm going to go to the, to the world and say, listen, everybody, I'm an ambassador, not to Israel by the U.S., although I'd like that position, and I'm not an ambassador to um, Yugoslavia, or that's not even a country. I'm not a, I'm not, I, what I'm an ambassador of is Christ. So I'm going to go to the world, which is an enemy world, and I'm going to say, listen, I'm an ambassador of Christ, and I'm coming to you with a word of reconciliation from the king. Here it is. Uh, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We beg you, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, there's the great substitute. Christ became sin for us. When we place our faith in him, he gives us his righteousness. So, at the very moment of justification, your sins are completely forgiven. You also receive his righteousness. You receive the righteousness of Christ on you. The whole idea, remember Zechariah 3.3, 3, Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord up in heaven in a kind of a, a little typical picture, and he's dressed in filthy garments, and Satan is the adversary. He's accusing Joshua the high priest. Does Satan, does Satan have any argument against Joshua the high priest as a sinner? Can Satan condemn? Can Satan call into question Joshua's character before a holy God? Absolutely. Joshua the high priest in the days of Zechariah, he's a sinner. So no doubt Satan has lots of ammunition against Joshua the high priest. But Jesus takes off the filthy rags and robes of Joshua, and he puts on Joshua a brand new robe, a robe of white righteousness. Man, that's now what does Satan have to do? There's nothing, every, all of Satan's ammunition, ammunition has been taken away. So, number one, the effects of justification, you are completely forgiven. Number two, you have new righteousness. You have the righteousness of Christ. It's like this. 
This hand pictures me as a wicked sinner, guilty, shamed before God, deserving of eternal death. The moment I trust Christ, I am in him and Christ covers me. It's like Noah in the ark. The floodwaters pounded on the ark, but Noah was safe in ark. The, ju- the wrath of God against sin was placed on Jesus on the cross, but when I, went, when I became in Christ 20-some years ago, all of God's, God's anger on sin did, go, it did land, but it landed on Jesus. And since I'm in Christ, it will never touch me. So that's why Paul uses the phrase in Christ so much. It meant so much to him because we are safe in Christ. We have his righteousness covering us. Third, go to Romans 8. This is going to be our last text, Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 1. And then we'll hop over to verse in the 30s. Verse 1. Here's the third benefit or effect of justification. First of all, we're completely forgiven. Secondly, we receive the perfect righteousness of Christ. We are in Christ. And third, you are declared not guilty. You can never be condemned. In justification, you are declared not guilty, although you are, but you can never be condemned then because the judge just called you not guilty. Verse 1, there is, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? There's no condemnation. If you are in Christ, no one can condemn you ever, ever. All right, let's go over to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Good question, isn't it? I want to know, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Can the devil bring a charge against God's elect? No. He cannot. He could stand and accuse me all day, but every time he accuses me of sin, I have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who stands up in the courtroom and says, paid for, nope, it's paid for, can't bring it up. Nope, paid for, you can't bring it up. Oh, that, nope, paid for, can't bring it up. Satan has no ammunition. He cannot condemn me. Could my friends condemn me? Nope, my friends cannot condemn me because my sin is paid in full by my Savior. Um, so I've got my, I've got the demons, I've got... Um, the, de- the demons and the devil, I've got my friends. Could my enemies condemn me? No, because my sin is paid in full. I mean, would, would God the Father condemn me? No, because he's the just judge that set me free, declared me righteous. Would Jesus Christ condemn me? No, because he willingly paid for my sin in his own body on the cross. So there is no condemnation in Christ. So the question in verse 33 is, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody can because it is God who justifies. Nobody can bring a charge against me. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? The answer is, no one. It is Christ who died. Why can't they condemn me? Because Christ died in my place, and it is paid in full. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Man, he's stopping that all the time. You can't go there. You can't go there. Bring that up. You can't go there. It's paid for on the cross. I did it 2,000 years ago. Paid in full. Here's the receipt. Yep, paid in full. I mean, he's always doing that. Isn't that a great truth? Even if you never understand this doctrine of justification, if you're born again as a believer, you will never be condemned. 
You will never be judged. You'll never be found guilty or wanting. You're free. So there's an illustration that I want to share with you. And it's an illustration that uh, Warren Wiersbe used. And I thought, what a great illustration. Because this is kind of like our life as the church. Our life as the church. Listen to this. The story goes that there was a man in England who purchased a a Rolls Royce. The man wanted to take a holiday in Europe, and he wanted to take his Rolls Royce with him to tour through the French countryside. So he put the Rolls Royce on a ferry, went across the English Channel, and began his tour. As he was driving through Europe, he was looking at the sights, going here and there. Suddenly, his Rolls Royce broke down. There it was. Nobody could fix it. So he sent a cable back to the Rolls Royce company and said, I've got a problem. My car is sitting on the side of the road. It is um, not working. They sent a man from England over to Europe who went and he fixed the car. He got the car running again, and then he left and he went back to England. The man thought, oh no, this is going to cost me a ton of money. To fly a repair person, a car mechanic, from England over here, I mean, man, this is going to, well, guess what? No bill came. No bill came. And he kept waiting. Finally, he thought, I I have to get this bill paid. So he called the Rolls-Royce company. He said, yeah, I'm so-and-so. My car broke down in Europe. You guys flew somebody over. He fixed my car, then he flew back, and it's going to cost me a load of money, but I want to know how much because I need to pay this bill. And the company looked, and they, and they looked up, and they said, oh, I'm sorry, we have no record of any Rolls, Rolls-Royce ever breaking down anywhere, ever. <laughs> you know, they, they, don't, they don't want a blemished, they don't want a blemished reputation. So they can actually say, no, we have no record on our account of any rolls You don't owe anything because our cars never break down. Get it? So you get the idea? We are fallen humanity, and even justified, we, we actually, we fail. We are going along our Christian experience and we end up in the ditch. And then we make some choices, we do some things, life doesn't end up like we thought, and we feel like we're on the side of the road and we feel like, how could God love us? Look at this, I did this, or this happened, and why isn't my life going better than this? And, we, and so we call out to the Lord and the Lord reminds us. He says, oh, wait a minute, um, you're declared righteous. I don't even see a record of that on your account. It's, it's clean. You've got a clean account. None of my children are ever judged or condemned. Isn't that great? Now, does that give us permission to sin all the more? Because we have such a good Savior? No, it doesn't mean we can sin and sin and sin. Romans 6 deals with that. The idea is when we do fail and we break down or we go into the ditch, our Father rescues us, He lifts us up, and then no condemnation, no guilt, no shame. All right? He he doesn't want us to live in sin, so he'll discipline us. Hebrews 12, he'll chasten us and discipline us like a good father with a son or a daughter who needs discipline and chastening, but he doesn't punish. There's no no punitive aspect in God's working in our life. It's discipline. It's a father's loving discipline to us. Big difference, isn't it? I would much rather have a father's loving hand discipline me and have some correction there and then know that when I'm broken down by the side of the road, I could call back to the company and God would say, oh, you're my child, you're, perfect. you're as perfect as Christ is perfect. Oh, thank you, Father. I would rather than having a punitive God that would be punishing me for everything. Do you see what I'm saying? So we don't continue in sin. We live under the disciplining, the disciplining and loving hand of a heavenly Father who wants us to live righteously. To Hebrews 12 says, be trained in righteousness and bear fruit of righteousness. 
So justification. Wow, what a great truth. We have a holy judge as we stand before him as wicked, condemned sinners, and he says, you are set free. I declare you righteous. Go on your way. What a great God. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our time in your word. Again, just a great truth that there's no effort or work we can do to please you. There's nothing we can do to expunge the sin on our record. We must put our faith and trust in another who has done that. Thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus, born of a virgin, who died on the cross in our place for our sins and rose from the dead. We who trust in Christ, by your grace, are justified. We are declared righteous. You look at our record as if nothing has ever happened because all you see is the perfect righteousness of Christ. What a great truth. It's freeing. It's liberating liberating to know that we're not condemned. But Father, sometimes we feel your chastening hand. We know that you're working in our life to conform us to be more like Christ. You want us to be your obedient, loving children that look like you and act like you and talk like you. So when we do stray, thank you that you do step in to correct us. But we thank you that you don't punish us. There's no guilt or shame under grace. There's a loving Heavenly Father's touch, though. So we thank you for the truth of justification. Sins completely forgiven, the righteousness of Christ received upon us, and we are eternally secure. Wow. Thank you for the no condemnation. You are a great God. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we thank you for the comforting Holy Spirit. May we live this week as justified men and women, spreading the good news of Christ to others. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory alone. Amen.